So as we get closer to Christmas Day, we're anticipating the coming of Jesus. We've been looking in the scriptures this month about how God changed the plans of Mary and Joseph. And he took their changed plans and used, used what was going on in their life uh, to change the entire world. To bring his plan into their plans, um, which he does all the time, doesn't he? We're kind of experiencing that right now. All of us had plans for 2020 that haven't turned out the way we thought. But we are trusting that the Lord is working a plan that's way above, even greater than anything we could have planned for 2020 to be. And so this morning, I want us to look at um, Joseph. We have looked at Mary the past couple of weeks. We were in Luke's gospel, looking at her story. And today, I want us to kind of shift and look at Joseph's story and see how did Joseph respond to this master plan that God was bringing into his life. So we're going to be in Matthew's gospel. And so find Matthew chapter 1, if you've got your Bible with you, and we're going to begin to look at um, how did Joseph's story come into the plan of God and, and what was it that God was calling Joseph to do, and it was, a, it was an incredible, incredible thing. So let's look at chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18. This is right after the, the account, Matthew's genealogy, that's in the, the very beginning of Matthew chapter 1, where Matthew is establishing the fact that Joseph, who would be the father, um, the adopted father of Jesus, um, was of the lineage of King David. And so he begins his gospel by establishing that fact, and then he begins to tell the story in verse 18. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph... It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, we've already said that Mary was very likely a, a young lady, could have been as young as 12, 13, 14 years old. So you may wonder, well, is the same true for Joseph? It's very likely that Joseph was very close in age to Mary, but probably two to three years older, Joseph likely fell in the age range of maybe as young as 14 and as old as 18 years old when he was betrothed to Mary. That is about the time usually when young Jewish men um, were considered adults and they um, chose their bride and began families. And I also want us to understand as we, as we begin to look more into the story that this, even though there was an arrangement element in their marriages at that time, uh, this was not a marriage that Mary and Joseph would have been forced into by their families. This was a marriage that each one of them would have chosen. They would have likely grown up together in Nazareth. They would have known each other. They would have loved one another and actively chosen each other. Now, their families were very much involved in the customs of bringing them together in marriage. But this was, a, this was a marriage of choice. This was a marriage uh, that, of chosen love, of commitment between the two of them. And so, because we've talked about Mary already, as we're beginning to read um, Matthew's gospel, we know some things already, 
right? We know that they were betrothed, or, or this translation uses the word engaged, but that's not the kind of engagement that we think about. This was a binding agreement in almost every aspect. They were already married. There were only two, a couple of things that had not happened yet. One is they would not be living under the same roof. Joseph would not have yet brought Mary into his home as his wife. And two, they would not have consummated their marriage. But besides those two things, in the eyes of, of the people, they were, they were married. It was a legal binding agreement. And it was only dissolvable by a divorce. This was not just like an engagement today where folks can just decide before they get married that they, they're making a mistake or they don't want to do it and they just walk away. This was, this was different. So all that was left for Joseph was to bring Mary into his home and begin his marriage and his family with her. But Matthew tells us in verse 18 that before that, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant. Now, I find it interesting. This is where my imagination kind of takes off. Matthew doesn't tell us how it was discovered. What, how, how was it that Joseph came to the first knowledge of this information that Mary was pregnant? I, 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 it's very possible that Mary very likely told Joseph. At some point, had a conversation with him and said, I need to tell you something. And that was probably a pretty big, heavy discussion. What we don't know is when and how did that discussion take place. Was it, was it right after she received the revelation from, from Gabriel? Did she go directly to Joseph and say, hey, I've got to tell you something? That's very possible. But then I also wonder, did she wait a little while? Did she have to ponder a little bit and think, how am I going to explain this? How am I going to tell him in a way that he understands? And how, and more importantly for her, how am I going to explain this to him in a way that he's going to believe? Because I know I'm telling the truth. How is he going to react? All of these things likely were going through her mind. Because if we shift and we're looking at this scenario from Joseph's perspective, this is a first century young man who's about to... To, to marry the woman that he loves. He's about to begin his family. And so for this news, the fact that his betrothed wife is pregnant, and she's pregnant not because of him, this is every Jewish young man's worst nightmare. But Matthew tells us that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So part of that conversation that Mary would have had to have had with Joseph had to include that because she knows what he's going to think. So she's going to be very quick to explain to him, look, this is what has happened. I haven't done what you think I've done. Something supernatural has happened. And he, she would have told him about the visit from the angel. She would have told him everything that the angel said and who this child would be. So that's part of the discovery there in verse 18. We have to know that all of that information was part of what was happening 
in verse 18. Now let's go on to verse 19. Initially, how did Joseph respond to this news that was given him by Mary? Verse 19. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Mary explained to him, I haven't done what you think I've done. I've not done what everybody else is going to think I've done. An angel came to me and told me that the Holy Spirit has made this happen in me. And it seems as if Joseph doesn't believe her. Because verse 19 tells us that he's making plans. And their plans for his marriage to end. And we may read that knowing, again, the full revelation of what God is doing. And we may read that and go, why didn't he believe her? If he loved her, and if he was someone who believed in God and had faith, why didn't he believe her? Let me just ask you, would you? I'm pretty sure that most of us as men, if, if our fiancés or even our wives came to us and said they were going to have a baby and we knew it was not because of us and she told us this story, we would uh, be looking for some medication. Some We would be going to a doctor. Like there would be, we, we need to talk to somebody. Because this doesn't happen. Remember, that let's, let's not get ahead of what Joseph knows in his experience yet. All he knows is that his soon-to-be wife has come to him. She is pregnant, and she has this unbelievable, literally unbelievable story. And so, all he has to go on is what he knows and sees. One, the word of Mary. Of course he loves her. Of course he trusts her. But this is a little crazy sounding. He knows what he's been told by her. He knows what he maybe sees. We're not sure, but maybe by now when this conversation is going on and this revelation is coming to Joseph, maybe she's beginning to show. And this is what he has to go on. Now think about how his emotions would be at this point. Or how we would expect his emotions to be. I this week have put myself into this role. I have chosen a wife that I love more than anything in the world. If this happens, like I begin to think, what kind of emotions am I going to feel? I'm going to feel things like brokenhearted. I'm going to feel betrayed. I'm going to feel lied to. I'm going to feel humiliated. And I'm going to be angry. 
because there's, there's only one way that happens. But what's remarkable in verse 19 is we don't see any evidence of any of those emotions in Joseph. Now, could he have experienced some of those emotions on the inside in his heart and mind as he was processing this? Absolutely he could have. But what the scripture records, what we see of his response is something that's, that's remarkable because he now as a young man has two choices. In his mind now at this point in verse 19, his marriage is over. Like it's done. Everything that he had planned, everything he thought was going to happen, in his mind right now in this moment, all of that's over. So I have two choices. He can either make a public disgrace of Mary that's motivated by, by his own humiliation, his broken heart, his betrayal, his embarrassment that he feels. He can make a public spectacle of her or he can privately divorce her, which, let's just be honest, it will delay the disgrace in Mary's life for a little while if he does this privately. But eventually everybody's going to know. And, and the town and the people are going to put their own shame and disgrace on her without Joseph's help. So Joseph can either, um, he can either add to that disgrace or he can do everything he can to try to shield Mary from that. And that's what we see him do. Here's a, a point about Joseph to remember this morning. Joseph's choice reflected his heart. And his heart reflected his relationship with God. All of those things. He had, he had choices here of what to do. But when we see what he chose and how he chose to deal with the circumstances that he was dealt, it shows us what kind of heart he had. He really did love her. He really did care about her. He really did have a heart of compassion and verse 19 tells us that he had a heart of righteousness. He was a righteous man, Matthew tells us. And that righteousness doesn't come from him. It comes from his relationship with God. So his choice showed us what was in his heart. And what's in his heart showed us what kind of relationship he had with God. He was righteous. He was faithful. Because remember at this point... He has no divine revelation yet. He's about to, and that's what we're about to get to, but right now he doesn't. There's no divine revelation of what's happened. He knows the circumstance. He knows the word of Mary. And yet still in only knowing those things, he chooses mercy and he chooses compassion in how he deals with her. And folks, this was not normal for a man who had been seemingly betrayed like he has just been betrayed it is not normal for you to choose mercy and compassion for a woman who has just embarrassed and shamed you in in your life and your family uh, like the the whole system of honor and shame in the first century was so huge and it would have affected a whole lot more people than just joseph most people would have thought it reasonable for Joseph to make a spectacle of her. 
That's what most people would have done, and no one would have thought anything bad about Joseph for making a spectacle of her because in everyone's eyes, she would have deserved it. But there was righteousness in this choice. And see, he's caught. He's kind of in this place where we see in Joseph a heart driven by his relationship with God to make a righteous choice. He knows on one hand he can't he can't with a with a with a clean heart go into this marriage that is obviously been corrupted by these lies and unfaithfulness. He doesn't he doesn't want to walk into that because of of his righteous heart before God, but then at the same time he knows to publicly shame her for what's going on. That doesn't reflect the heart of God either. And so he chooses to respond to what seemed to be betrayal with mercy. And I think this statement is also true for us, isn't it? The choices we make in the way we deal with people reflect what kind of heart we have. Right? And then the kind of heart that we have reflects what kind of relationship we have with the Lord. You may look at this situation and, and, and wonder, would you have responded like this in this circumstance? So we see something very admirable, very noble in Joseph in the way he responds. And, and notice when verse 19 says because he, he was a righteous man, Joseph doesn't deny Mary's, what seems to be Mary's sin. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't ignore it. He knows that, that he, he can't be married to her anymore. So he doesn't deny her sin, but he deals with her. He deals with her sin in mercy. And isn't that, doesn't that reflect the heart of God for us? Some people think, well, if God loved me, he would just not hold me accountable for my sin. But that's not righteousness. God can't do that. He has to hold us accountable to our sin. But at the same time, he doesn't deny our sin, but he deals with our sin in mercy and compassion. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing here through this story, through this couple. He's dealing with my sin and your sin in the midst of what he's doing in Mary and Joseph's life. And you, and you may look at Joseph at this point and go, wow, what an amazing guy he is. Joseph really can't get the credit for whatever mercy and compassion that's in his heart because his heart reflects his relationship with God. People by themselves aren't this merciful. People by themselves are not this compassionate. Do you know where merciful people like this come from? They come from God. God makes merciful people. This kind of mercy, not us. So I think Joseph, were he to speak, if we were to want to take him and put him up on a pedestal, he would say, whoa, 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 no. 
whatever mercy and compassion came out of me was not because of me. It was because of what the Lord was doing in him. So here's his circumstance. This is what he knows. And we see him making a choice as best he can. And we see righteousness and and mercy and compassion in his heart. Look at verse 20 now. But after he had considered these things, after he had made a plan, and he he considered everything and he knew what he was going to do, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. There it is, that echo back to verses 1 through 17. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So what was the angel's message to Joseph? First, don't be afraid. Don't we hear that a lot out of the mouths of angels in Scripture? Don't be afraid. But the angel's message here was not, don't be afraid of me. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So if the angel told him to not be afraid then that means that there was fear. So what, what kind of fear would Joseph have been fighting at this time? Probably fear of his family. Like, how is my family going to react? What, what's going to happen? Will I find someone else? Maybe he feared the community. How is the community going to react? How are they going to treat her? How are they going to react to me when they realize I'm not going to make a big spectacle of her? And I think maybe even he was fearful of how God was going to respond to his choice. Am I, doing, am I doing the right thing here? Am I doing what he wants me to do? I, I want to believe, this is just me, this is not from the scriptures, but I want to believe that Joseph wanted to believe Mary. I, th- I think maybe there was something in him that wanted to believe. He desperately wanted to believe that what she was saying was true. Because he loved her. But maybe he feared, what if I believe her and I'm wrong? What if I believe her and she's lying to me? And what she says really isn't true. A lot of fear. And the angel comes to him in a dream and says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You know what the angel was saying to him? She's telling you the truth. She's telling you the truth. She's not sinned against you. She's not sinned against God. She's not betrayed you. She's not been unfaithful. She's telling you the truth. So don't be afraid to move forward. Don't be afraid to take her into your house. You're already in this binding marriage and now you're wondering do I take this girl into my house do I begin a family with her and the angel says yes don't be afraid to do that because what you're seeing on the outside and what you're basing your decisions on there's a whole lot more happening that you don't know and I've come to tell you it's okay don't be afraid to take her 
as your wife. And so then the question is, maybe in Joseph's mind, well, why should I not be afraid? There's all kinds of reasons for me to be afraid to go into this marriage. Why should I not be afraid? And the angel answers that question, too, with a big because. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Mary said. So let's just be honest. When people tell us something, that's one thing. But when the angel of the Lord comes to us, and to Joseph it was a dream, and there was a difference there. The angel appeared to Mary. For Joseph, Joseph had fallen asleep, and the angel came to him in a dream, which was not uncommon. God communicated with lots of people through dreams. But this is a totally different thing. When an angel tells you something, it's different. It carries a little more weight. And so this here, these words of the angel in this verse is is the ultimate and greatest testimony in the scriptures to the virgin birth of Jesus. And, And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But he gives Joseph the same instructions that he gives Mary. And I want you to notice what he says to Joseph. He says, you are to name him Jesus. You, Joseph. You know who you know who named children? Parents. Now this child was not Joseph's child. And Joseph knows that. But the angel says, Joseph, you're gonna name him Jesus. This was Joseph being called to father a child that was not his. This, was, this would have already been unheard of in the culture for Joseph to take on a wife who was already pregnant. Like, that's, that's weird enough. And so the angel says, don't be afraid not only to take Mary as your wife, even though she is already with child, but to put another level on top of it, this isn't just any child, this is the Son of God. This is God in flesh. And he says to Joseph, you are to name him Jesus. He was calling Joseph to adoption. He was calling him to adopt God's Son into his family and raise him as his own. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but here's, here's something I want you to remember. Joseph was called to adopt into his family the one who would provide adoption, our adoption into God's family. What does Scripture say about us? What has God done for us as believers? Scripture says he has adopted us into his kingdom, into his family, and that's why we are called the sons and daughters of God. And so the very one that God was going to bring into the world to bring about the possibility of our adoption into his kingdom, he brings into Joseph's life and says, I want you to adopt my son into the world so that one day I can adopt everyone into 
my kingdom. I can make it possible for you and everybody else to be adopted into the family of God. And this is how he would do it. Look at verses 22 and 23. Now, all this took place, Matthew says, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. It's quoting from Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And let's just stop here, and, and I want to focus on this, the, the virgin birth. This is fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament that Jesus would be born of a virgin, and the virgin birth is an uncompromisable truth of Christianity. And I hope you understand that. When we talk about things that we can't budge on, like we know we have denominations and different faiths and we disagree on different doctrines, I want you to know, folks, when it comes to the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, this is not a, a doctrine that can be compromised. This is, this is set truth, and, it, and there is no other option. Uh, denying the virgin birth of Christ is rejecting the whole gospel. There is no gospel without this. And, and I, I want to give you a little bit of insight as to why in just a minute. But let's look at verses 24 and 25. So Joseph has this revelation from the angel in the dream. Look at what he does in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. What was Joseph's response? Faithful obedience. It says when he woke up, he did what the Lord had told him. He did what the angel said. Immediate, undelayed, faithful obedience to the word of the Lord. What was Mary's response to the angel? The same thing. Immediate obedience I'm the Lord's servant let it be exactly as you've said every plan changed not just in Mary's life but but also in Joseph's life like every plan he had changed but he woke up from receiving the word of the Lord and said that's what I'll do no questions no no um, deals no bargains with God he says, what you've told me to do, I'll do. And I think there was a lot of joy in Joseph's heart when he woke up. Because think about it. He thought his marriage was over. He thought his marriage had been destroyed. But with this news of the angel, he wakes up realizing he, he still gets to marry the woman he loves. And he doesn't have to be afraid anymore. So I don't think it was all just, again, like Mary, like we said before, it's not just wake up, oh man, I better do what the angel tells me to do or I'm going to be in trouble. I think he was overjoyed. That, wow, my, my, my dream of having a family with this woman that I've chosen and loved, it's, it's not falling apart. God, is, I'm still going to get to be with her and love her, but it's just going to be way different than I thought it was going to be. 
He was taking on a whole new responsibility, not just to care for a wife that he loved very much, but he was taking on guardianship of the Son of God. And you know, Joseph is never called the father of Jesus in the Scriptures. There's nowhere in the Bible that ever refers to Joseph as Jesus' father. But it does many times refer to him as the son of Mary because he was. He was born from, from her body. He was the physical son of Mary. He was the adopted son of Joseph. And he was the eternal son of God. All three of those things. And what I want you to know, the reason the virgin birth is a, is a doctrine that can't be compromised is because for him to be able to save us, he had to be all three of those things. He had to be the physical son of Mary. He had to be the adopted son of Joseph. He had to be the eternal son of God. He had to be son of God and son of man, and he had to be both of those things at the same time. And you say, well, why? why? Why is that so important? First of all, Scripture calls Jesus the Son of Man. He was born of Mary. He was born just like all of us. Born into full humanity. As a baby. And y'all, Jesus carried every full characteristic of a baby. I think maybe we have this picture in our minds that he was this holy, glowing you know, he, he, he comes out and he's laying in the manger and there's this glow around him and this halo over his head and there's, oh, like all this kind of stuff. Listen, it was not that way. It was not that way at all. We sing Silent Night and we love Silent Night. It's one of my favorite songs to sing, but I'm pretty sure it was not very silent. How silent is it in your house when you bring home a baby? When they're sleeping. <laughs> but other than that, it's, it's crazy. Um, Jesus was born into full humanity. Think about the fact that Jesus, co-deity, he was God in the flesh, came and he had to be nurtured. He had to be cared for just like you. Just like us when we were babies. He, he didn't know how to eat by himself. He had to be taught how to eat. He had, he had dirty diapers. When he was sleepy, he had to be rocked and shook and cuddled to get to go to sleep. He, all of those things, everything that we experience in humanity, he did. He, and, and the scripture says he grew in humanity and he was known in his full humanity. Um, there's a passage later in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13, in verse 54. I'm just going to read it to you. 54 through 57 of Matthew 13. He went to his hometown. You remember, a after he had begun his ministry, he went back to Nazareth at one point, which was his hometown where he grew up as a kid. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said... Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? 
And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And verse 57 says, and they were offended by him. Even after he had begun his ministry and he was doing supernatural things, when he went back to his hometown, they all looked at him and said, who is that? That's Joseph's kid. That's the kid that was hanging around Joseph's carpenter shop all the time. That's Mary's kid. Like, who is he? Where, does, where is he getting all of this stuff? He's teaching with this authority and he's doing this miraculous stuff. How is he pulling all that off? This is the carpenter's kid. He, he, he didn't walk around in, with, with that glowing aura and that halo over his head. He was a man. And he was born in and laid in that manger that night as, as, as a fully human baby. But at the same time, and this is, this is the mystery of the incarnation. How does God do that? I don't know, but he does it. He's fully man. He's the son of man, but at the same time, he is fully son of God. Fully divine. Jesus has the power to change and control reality and nature. He has the authority to forgive sin. He has power over death, and he doesn't just have power over other people's death, right? He has power over his own death because he's raised from the grave after they crucify him. Like, this is who he is. The human man, Jesus of Nazareth, has the full divine nature, power, and deity of God. And this is the incarnation. And you may say, well, that's kind of hard to believe. If we, if we believe the scriptures and we read especially the gospel of Matthew, if you read all the gospels, but especially Matthew, because we're in Matthew this morning, to believe the incarnation, the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus is the only way the gospel of Matthew makes any sense. If you read everything that Jesus does and everything that Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, the only way you can make sense of any of it is to believe in the incarnation. That he's fully God and fully man. In Matthew chapter 8, you remember the story. He's in the boat with the disciples and they're on the sea and he's asleep in the boat, right? Full humanity. He gets sleepy. He's tired. And so he's resting, he's asleep in the boat, and the boat is rocking so furiously that the disciples are freaking out, they think they're going to die, and he's still asleep in the boat. Like, he must have been really tired. And they wake him up, and they say, aren't you, aren't you, don't you care, we're about to die here. So he wakes up, I just imagine Jesus waking up, and you know how you're a little groggy when you wake up, first wake up, like what's going on, after you took like a two-hour nap and you're like okay what's going on and maybe he wiped his maybe jesus gets up and he does this and he has to he has to wipe his eyes clear so he can see what's going on and he kind of realizes what's happening and then what does he do he speaks to the water and everything is still the full humanity of Jesus and he yet he gets up and he speaks to the ocean and it listens to everything he says it does what he says 
That's the incarnation. And the only way Matthew's gospel makes sense is if we believe the incarnation is true. And what was the disciples' question at the end of that in Matthew 8 in that passage? They say, who is this? They even saw him. They were experiencing his humanity and his deity at the same time. And they go, who is this? That he's fallen asleep in our boat, but he wakes up and tells the waves to go stop. And they stop. It's the incarnation. And Jesus had to completely embrace the humanity and the divinity simultaneously at the same time. Some people might make you think, oh, well, he, could, he flip-flopped. Like for part of his life, he was, he was just human. And then for part of his life, he was, only, he was only divine for part of it for this time. Or he only became divine. No, 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 no. He was the fullness of both of those things the whole time. That it was the fullness of the incarnation that lay in that manger. Surrounded by his mom and his dad and a bunch of stinky, smelly animals. The full incarnation of God. And so you, you may say, okay, I get that, Eric, but why, why is the virgin birth so, such a big deal? Why is it that we can't compromise on that? Because the only way Jesus could be the perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin is if he was fully both of those things. He had to be fully God and he had to be fully man in order to be that perfect sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. If he had lacked any of his humility, I mean any of his humanity, he couldn't have died his his life his the humanity he lived in wouldn't have been enough to to cr give us credit we couldn't have received credit for his righteous life if he wasn't fully human he had to be completely human so he couldn't be lacking any humanity if he was lacking humanity then the gospel doesn't work and if he was lacking any divinity, then he would have just been another man who died and, and was a martyr for faith. It, it would have had no supernatural power, no supernatural power in his life, no supernatural power in his death. He had to be both. And he had to be both of those things at the same time. And I want you to know the glory of Christmas is that he absolutely was both of those things. Son of God... And son of man. And he was lacking nothing in either one of those. That made him the perfect sacrifice. And he had to embody all of that to be the perfect sacrifice that could take away our sin. He had to be the perfect lamb of God. So, because he was both of those things. And he was coming as the lamb to take away our sin. He made a way for the greatest adoption. That's why I'm naming today's message the greatest adoption. And you may have thought at the very beginning the greatest adoption was this adoption that Joseph was called into to take Jesus into his home and adopt him as his son. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. That's a pretty, that's a pretty great adoption, but it's not the greatest. 
The greatest adoption is the adoption that Jesus, in his full humanity and his full deity, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, provided the greatest adoption, which is the adoption that God offers to us in faith. We are sons and daughters of God because we've been adopted into his family. And God used an adoption in the first century to bring about that adoption for us. That's the greatest one.